a Beat DeBoer milestone, and a feature interview on SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. The Golden Knights head coach joins us for an extended chat, 500 NHL wins, the 28th man to reach that mark in NHL history, and we talked to Pete about his accomplishment and his path to coaching, how he learned to coach and from whom. We talk influences, music, books, and more. Before the coach, a breakdown of the Golden Knights' recent play and what's next for the BGK. It's SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. And now, here's Dave. Thank you, Dad. I, even though you may be over saying that for five years, I always enjoy it. Because I feel like uh, Johnny Carson. Do people know who you are now? No, I, I don't know. Some guy named Dave. He was asking me before, what's the GND part? Right? Right. The guy named Dave. That's why That's why we had to introduce <laughs> that's, that's you that exactly way. right. Exactly. <laughs> I am some guy named Dave. Although I've always felt it's unfortunate that I would think if I were you, I would just have that D be for Dan. Well, no, it's easy to just swap the, the D for Dave and make it Dan. That's fine. Nobody told you that? Not yet. Okay. No, we've well, been after, you know. We've asked some people before we came on today. We talked for five years about getting... Uh, Garb, you know, SLGND right. Garb. Yeah. We haven't seen anything in that category. Yet. The logo is great, though. So we put it on a couple of our fine co-workers over there to have T-shirts made up by the end of the week. So thank you. That would be fantastic. What's going on, boys? Uh, Shane over there. Shane, let's check in. Your health and well-being seems pretty good. You're off the drugs, it seems. Or are you still yes. on them? No, no, no. Well off them for a couple of days. And, uh, yeah, back to my, uh, you know, my cheery personality each and every day. <laughs> <laughs> still got the bananas here. What? Uh, so you uh, did you sit when you watched? So Darren Elliott and I. And there was talk yes. by from a lot of. So you missed the game against Arizona and the Colorado game. There was talk they were the two best broadcasts we've ever done. But figure it out. You were at home watching that. Did you have critiques for Darren or me? What, what, how many games did they win in those? Two? Well, they it's true. They were zero. Did they win last night? Uh, yeah, last night they did. See, and yeah. And so what what changed? Yeah, all the inspiration I brought. Yeah, uh, you know they were great broadcasts. Well, Darren yeah. Elliott's done TV longer than us when you think about it. Both yeah. of us, uh, yeah. you know, he's been uh, he did it for many, many years uh, covering hockey as an analyst. So uh, you know, it was an easy transition, and I was thankful for the good guy like him that could come in and help you. I thought I was great. I, I was couldn't have been. I was never happier. <laughs> it was fantastic. Well, man, what's the matter? You're looking attentively uh, over there. He stole your place on the bus. I I, I thought it was a because Elliott took my seat. Well, you know, the back of the bus is we've kind of it's reserved for the former player. It's know. you know, that's that's his Someone spot. sat there once before. <laughs> he's no longer with us. Well, he's on earth. He's not, he's not, he's not working for the team no longer. On the show. Uh, so, um we taped this today. What's the second day of March? And the Golden Knights coming off a win against San Jose last night, Dan. The team had been uh, that had trouble scoring. I don't know if they broke out with three, but at least they scored three and enough to beat San Jose. But you hope that this stretch here, which is just insane, and they're not the only team playing a, a lot of games between now and the end of the regular season. At least they get the month of March started off on the right foot last night. Maybe that's what gets them going, to actually yeah. get into a rhythm. The rhythm on the offense has been in transition on the rush. Even the other day against Colorado, had they score on the rush. First couple of goals against the Sharks in transition. Only the third goal was was not. And something I had asked Jonathan Marcia so about between the second and third periods, 
And he came back to, well, no, we're still creating. We're still creating. And now you got to finish. And they did. The third goal, the critical third period goal, they only had three goals in the third period the whole month of February. Eight games in February, three third period goals, opponents scored 10. Well, they start off March outscoring opponent one nothing in the third period. Okay. Were you encouraged what you see saw last night, Gary? I've I've been encouraged actually the last three games from a, a defensive aspect. I think they've been pretty good at uh, at limiting uh, shots from the opposition. They're missing Stone and Pacioretty, Yanmark and Martinez. Well, the first two guys, Stone and Pacioretty, are. They've been their leading scorers for the last couple of years. Now you have Eichel, and he's going to produce as well. So the offense, I think, is going to – It's there's two things. Dodonov doesn't belong where he is right now. He needs to play lower down in the lineup. He also has no points in 13 games. Right. Regardless of who he's playing. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, and maybe Stevenson is going to be in a different spot uh, when you bring Stone and Pacioretty back into the mix. And I, I don't think Eichel – the Eichel – the combinations that they've had so far, I don't think they're working. I'll be honest. I'd like to see them recall Pavel Dorofayev and see if he could play. He's the best scoring prospect they have. He's, he leads the, the Silver Knights in scoring. Um, they need somebody that, he, quote unquote, I asked about him last night uh, about Dorofayev. I was told he's a natural goal scorer. So I wouldn't mind having a look. You know, at some point in time, he's going to be a top six forward here or there, wherever. I don't know. But so like, they've, they've got to get they've got to do something better with that line. And I think we can focus on the on the, the lack of offense or focus on the fact that they're playing really well defensively. The one thing they can control that's playing well defensively. They're doing that. And I think the scoring will come when they get the right personnel back in the lineup if they ever get it back in the lineup. And you know what? We're at that point where it's either going to happen or it's not. You know what I mean? Like there's not, this isn't, uh, oh, they'll fix that later on. Pretty soon they're going to have to have all those guys playing or, I don't know, maybe maybe they have to go out and shop at the deadline. Like for the longest time we thought they're going to be, they're going to have to be sellers. Maybe they're going to be buyers. Do they, um, I, I wonder, Shane, if they're ever going to get to that point where they're going to have everybody. They haven't all year. Why, why should we think now, just because it's late in the regular season, that they're going to have everyone available at some point? Uh, and, and that's why now at this point, it, it's reality. Yeah, you take those two players out, it's huge. But this point, it's been like that all year. You've yeah. got to move on. You've got to find ways. And they need their top players, whoever they are right now, to step up. And we saw that from the Carlson Smith Marshall last night. By far the best line on the ice. They they prove they want to play together. I think it's them saying, "Hey, let's go." We and they understand that they've been in that situation. So now they're we talk about opportunity for players. Well, if you're getting that opportunity to play top six, top nine minutes and be that guy, well, be that guy. This is this is something God, every player wants to have that chance to go out and prove their worth at a higher level, at you know a bigger role, a bigger chance to be a contributor. So do it. So yeah, Dodonov needs to be better. Thirteen games. Uh, you know, that line doesn't look, the chemistry doesn't seem right. I think, you know, they had I think a shift in the second and a shift in the third where they may have had possession for a minute, but it was all on the outside. They were going to shut. At some point, you got to simplify the game. And a great example, and Dan talked about it, you look, you look at the third period goal. Was, you know, it was a good exchange up top. Hutton rolled out. That allowed Marshall to get the middle. All he did was spin and put it to net, but you had two guys parked there. 
Boom, goals in the back of the net. They need more of that. They need more of that from all their lines. They need to find offense from the offensive zone. They are fantastic off the rush. They're a great rush team, and, and there's no denying that. But that's not going to carry through. We saw what happened the last two playoffs if you rely on one element of offense. So, you know, the reality is, yes, you're, you're missing your, your two best offensive players. But also the reality is, well, there's maybe nothing you can do about it, but deal with it. So this is, uh, you know, this is where it comes on. And then the blue line. The blue line has was a big part of the offense early on, and it, it has been non-existent. One goal in 10 games now. And they've the still the got score. pretty much the same personnel there. You know, Martinez is out. Certainly he's a big loss at both ends of the ice. So they, they've got to find a way. And, yeah, d- defensively, I, you know, to me, their last two games, uh, last game was an extension of what they did against Colorado, but it was against a team that needs more than just one or two opportunities to score. Yeah. They, they need about 20. Um and they didn't get them. I thought they just they, they played really well. I thought their their forecheck was better. So they need to continue to win. And Pete Bor said they may have to win a lot of goals just scoring or a lot of games, excuse me, just scoring three goals. So that defensive element of the of their game and their structure and how they want to play has to be on task. You ever been on a team that was cursed? That just, you know, one injury after another and, and never never got it together? No. No. I've been on teams with injuries and uh, it's about finding a way. Yeah, I, I don't believe in curses. It's, it, no, it, it, it happened, especially I, now. Curse, we've seen it around the league. Everybody's had to deal with massive injuries. Yes, it's been the worst this organization has seen. Without question, the worst they've seen, probably the worst this coaching staff maybe in their careers they've had to deal with. But you've got to deal with it. You can't just say, oh, well, let's. No, of course not. And, and especially this time of the year. And, Dan, and you mentioned, I think it's important for these players to get in a rhythm. February was a tough month. Play, practice. It's great for coaches to reinforce, you know, how, you know, all those elements of their game and the details and structure and all that. But players need to, you know, now start implementing that in the game and allowing their creativity, that chemistry to build. A guy like Jack Eichel to get in a rhythm. Um, you know, I think he's just about halfway there to maybe starting to feel good. Um, you can still see his timing, but. You know, they, they've got to move some things around, and we'll, we'll see. And I'm open to any options if you, you they want to, you know. I think it's a tough time to bring up somebody from Henderson. They, they've got a lot of NHL-caliber players. It's just who, who wants to take that next step. Yeah. Where are they now, Gary? You have, usually have a better feel for this than us about uh, salary cap-wise. If, well, if they wanted to add somebody by the end of uh, – by 21st of March. Well, we talked about this last night, actually, on, uh, on TV, and the answer is you don't know because – you know, you take uh, Pacioretty and Stone out of it. You know, if they're depending on when they're going to be ready, and we have had no indication uh, on that, um, would would they will they have room? And then I guess the next question is, you know, would it make sense to add? Let's let's say that they have five million or six million available to them in, in cap space. Like, does it make sense to chase Claude Giroux or a, a player a player like that? And have to spend assets and uh, et cetera, et cetera, to go get a rental. Is this the team? There's that old expression where, you know, the the team has to show the general manager has to earn the opportunity for him to go out and, and make them better. Has is is has this team done that? You know, you look at the numbers. They're middle middle of the pack. They're, last night when you go to hockey reference, they're 15th <laughs> across the board, and it's uh, they're not elite at this at this point in time. 
Can they be? Well, you know, Shane says it really well. You know, at some point in time, this what this is what it is, and you have to do it. Well, they haven't done it. They are the great unknown, Dan. Right? There was a point last night they were the second wild card team. You know, Edmonton won earlier the night, then Vegas won, and they flipped. But who knows? With this group, it's been that way all year long. Now you can say if, 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 if. I don't know if that's if that's ever. So to your point, Gary, like if you're Kelly McCrimmon, do you look at this group and say, okay, we're going to get Patch Ready back and Stone back and Martinez back, and maybe Nolan Patrick can play a role in all this. But you know, if that'll, we're going to add somebody, or do they say, you know what, we're going to kind of see how it goes. We've been kicked in the ass all year with injuries. We hope these guys can come back, but we're not going to go burn first-round picks to go grab Claude Giroux. Make somebody up. Mark Giordano. Yeah. I don't know. Here's my question. That's a risky, for, that's so, a risky proposition so here, here's what they've my, seen this year. Yeah, here's my question for all of you. You guys can answer it. And we're talking, and yeah, no patch, ready, stone, and, you know, it's huge to be out of their lineup. Well, let's leave it. Let's look at the lineup that played last night. Uh, and you tell me what's missing. Is it? Are you saying they don't have enough skill? Let's compare that lineup to the lineup that went to the Stanley Cup Finals in year one. Which lineup has more talent? Pure talent, this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So yeah. uh, th- this is going to be my question. It's not Claude Giroux that I'd be adding. It's like Delorier or some guy like that. I think that's what they're missing is a – I don't think they have a guy in their bottom six that you is that you could call a spark plug. A guy that goes out and runs around and hits people and and gets gets the team going in certain times. Maybe 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 I'm old fashioned. Maybe that that guy isn't needed on a team anymore. I always wonder about the uh, our our stat man Ray LeBeff is the best, and he always tracks hits. They've been out hit. I've I've lost track of the amount of games they've been out hit in the consecutive games this year. Sometimes I wonder because building to building that varies a lot. But after a while. And it's often it not is what been it close. Is. It's, it's not, not like they're getting out hit by one or two. It's no, been it's, by ten. it's a vast. It's yeah. not their identity anymore. No, and they, you know, and, and Pete DeBoer touched on this the other day, though, Gary. That was a conscious decision on their part. That fourth line, right? They wanted to get away from some of that and go to more skill. Well, if they're all healthy, what is their fourth line? Wah, Carrier, and Colasar, Colasar, Amadio. How do you take out? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, and then yeah, so. But they did make a conscious decision to go. They traded Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves didn't play the last couple playoff games last year. They made a decision to go away yeah. from that. Well, yeah, but right, the, the 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 hit differential doesn't fall just on one player. No. Oh no, I'm saying, but as a group now, yeah. they they haven't. Right, that's where I'm saying the talent. Yeah. Every everything to me falls on the group. Whatever group is on the ice, it's not one player. It's not this missing. It's it's them collectively. They need to be better. Pete DeBoer's talked a lot, guys. About and by the way, uh, congratulations to Pete. We're yeah. going to hear from him later in the podcast. 500 wins as an NHL head coach. Uh, reached that milestone last night. Uh, he's talked about this in the past, and we've kind of all alluded to their ability to score off the rush. They're one of the best teams in the league. But can they score in different ways? Can they score off a cycle in the offensive zone? Can they score off a heavy four check? Can they score on the power play? Score on the power play? Because the answer is, is no. What's uh, <laughs> it was two for thirty before last night? What is it now? Two for thirty? Oh, Did they have two last night? 
I don't know. Uh, just one. Just one. Yeah. Two for thirty. All right. So th- now it's two for thirty-one. Two it, power play goals in thirteen games. Yeah. It'll be funny. Someone's going to listen to this podcast on Tuesday of next week. <laughs> they'll have they'll have beat Boston. They'll have beat Anaheim. <laughs> they'll have beat Ottawa. They'll have won four in a row, and they'll be like, "Who are these jerks?" And they should. Play goals. <laughs> they have, I know yeah, they, they should. Have the ability. Yes. I look. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. When I look yeah. at this lineup, they have the ability. Is is it? And I heard this phrase used not so much in the offensive context, but I think about it from time to time. And that's killer instinct. Do I make too much out of that? In other words, no. you can you could check boxes, you could do what you're told to do, but isn't there something else? There, that one, there's so many terms, right? You hear in hockey, and I, you know, desperate, desperate. Right. I don't, I don't like blah, desperate. Blah, blah, blah. I like urgent. Yeah, there. I like yeah. you got to yeah. have some urgency yeah. to your game. Killer instinct. Yeah. You know that mentality, that mindset to go out and do it. And I don't think it's been there all year. Yeah. Oh, both yeah. those, both those shifts you were talking about in the fifth, first and the third. Like Eichel's rolling around. H- how does somebody not say, okay, the D is going to get open at some point in time. I need to be in front of the net. It didn't happen. Everybody just stayed out yeah. to the perimeter. It's like, I- I- I'm sorry for making it this blunt, but it's like the point is to score, not to play a game of keep away, which is what it looks like at times. And I you talk about that phrase, killer instinct. And I just remember uh, Steve Thomas working with a player who had just won the American League MVP and Rookie of the Year, Corey Conacher. And Corey was in a severe scoring drought in the American League. And Steve Thomas, in a practice, just went over to him and screamed at him and said, you're Corey Conacher. And he was being so tentative and was looking for the – and just make the other team scared of you. And you want to say to these guys, like, don't you remember who you are? Scare the other team rather than just playing a game of keep away here and looking for the perfect play. Because it's not going to be enough. Yeah, are they at a point right now, Shane, where they're like Eichel's played with some different guys here, obviously in the first. Yeah. Once he played six games, they're still trying to. You can practice all you want, but in a game situation, reading off him, he's so talented. He has to puck a lot. He can hold on to it. He can make plays. Are they whoever he's playing with? Let's just say Stevenson and Dodonov for the sake of argument. Are they still trying to? Absolutely. Figure out how what's the best way to compliment him. As I well. think so, and I, you know, Pat Reddy kind of those those two, and you know, they they both talked about it when they are kind of off the ice together, talking about playing together, situational play, and they read off each other. You got to, you got both of them can shoot the puck, but certainly, I, you know, Eichel's a better distributor and and finding Pat Reddy, but unfortunately, that option isn't there anymore. So you've got to find other ones, and uh, I think Eichel still, I still think there's plays he's trying to make that he gets frustrated aren't there. And that's that's just part of him getting back. I, I, I we've yeah, heard the, the ten game. Is it going to be ten games? Is it going to be twelve? I think it's you know between that ten to thirteen games before he really starts feeling himself and getting back to the pace and understanding you know what he used to be able to do. He'll be doing again. When he hit the post last night, yeah. Like at first he kind of like he goes and leans against the boards and he's got that look of kind of disgust on his face, like like you know. That should have gone in. Like, I, you know, I mean, I had net. This is what's what was the goalie's name? Sachenko. Yes. Yes. I should have beat Sachenko. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. Uh, and then he kind of started to, to laugh. So, I, you know, I think that there's a little I think you're right. There's some frustration there. And then I think he probably remind, reminds himself every once yeah. in a while. I sat out for 11 and a half months. And I think he has to. And I, I think it's it's gotten better and better. And I yeah. You know, and I think that the biggest thing for this team is is they need that team confidence. And I think, you know, certainly a step in the right direction. Um, you know, last night, a uh, big win there. They played the right way. I think they got a little bit against Colorado. They felt they deserved better there. But it's the time of the year you can't say we deserve better because 
come time the end of the year, it's like, well, we should have made playoffs. We deserve better. No, you, you got you got to find a way to get it done. We're going to talk to Pete DeBoer about winning 500. Yeah. One of the questions that, you know, that I'm interested in is, you know, what 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 music do you play after you win 500? You get so let's go across the table here. You get into the car, Shane. After after you play or score your 500th, whatever it was for you, because you're a former player, you're feeling pretty good about it. This is what, more for you guys. You guys are the music junkies. Well, uh, no. What are you talking about? What it's all going to be a Bruce song. What would you have? Sli- what would you have slid into the old AC Delco tape deck? Back in the day. Tape so I had, a, I had a CD changer. Thank okay. you very much. All right, a multi-disc CD. So what would have been how, a, how long are we going back? What would have been on the changer? Guys? AC Delco, you remember those? Oh, yeah. I remember, I was old enough to remember the 8-track the, the to cassette converter. Wow. Oh, boy, those were. Boy, you're old. That's the way back in the <laughs> no, 50s. That's, that's, that's before What me. would you have played, Shane? Pre-television. What you know what I, have, I, I have no idea on the spot what I'd play. I would have played anything. Whatever. You would have played the outfield. Yeah, I might have played the outfield. You know, it's just like when you win. Everybody says, what do you do in the Stanley? Well, you play, you know, We Are the Champions, those type of songs. I've heard that song. Yeah. Dan? It's uh, somewhere between No Surrender and Land of Hope and Dreams. All right. Wow. I, I don't know. I hadn't, th- I hadn't thought. Uh, Glory Day is a pretty good song. No Surrender was on my list, but... Uh, See, this was just a question to get you guys to talk about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I didn't ask it, just there for the go. record. Right. Just for the record. I could answer it. Uh, yeah, you guys have a fascinating chat coming up. Uh, Dan and Gary chatted with, uh, with Pete, um, and our, our our loyal listeners are going to listen to it in a little bit. Dan, what, um, what kind of jumped out at you the most from your sit-down with a head coach? We know Pete has a background in law as a law degree along the way chose not to practice law but take his life and career in another direction and we kind of pull back the layers on that what he was thinking why the crossroads where you have to make a choice and then figuring out how to push the right buttons and handle people gary asks some great questions about that and uh, the question that uh, that i ask when you're trying to figure out how to be a coach for somebody who's new to it You can't just take a book out of the library because it is reading week after all, but you can't just take a book out and figure out how to coach based on the book. Just like you can't take a book out on playing the piano and learn how to play the piano by reading the book. You got to put your fingers on the keyboard. Does Pete agree with that? I won't spoil the answer. Okay, that's a good one. What about you, lawman? What uh, jumps out? He was asked why he likes to coach. And it's funny because he didn't play in the NHL. You don't think of him as a former player. But his answer is based on his love of playing hockey, not coaching hockey, playing hockey. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting. When you think about it, Shane, you know, if you look at some of the most successful coaches in the history of the game, some were really good players. Yeah. But somebody like you know, Scotty Bowman's got yeah, how many Stanley Cup? I mean, it's not always the case, no. right? Not always the case. Well, you know, certainly the love of the game is, yeah. is a central point for those guys. And, you know, it, it's pretty amazing what Pete's been able to do. And, you know, incredible picking up his 500th win. And you, know, you mentioned to, to have a degree, not go in that direction. I know what that's like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Carleton Comprehensive High School. <laughs> they give out degrees from that? <laughs> Diplomas? <laughs> you get a lucky star. the back of a napkin. <laughs> You're a sticker. I just good thing I could play a sport. <laughs> um, but no, you know, it's he's, he's fascinating. You see it around the league. John Cooper, very similar kind of path. Uh, 
uh, you know, guys that are super intelligent that just have a raw passion to, for first for the sport and then, you know, for coaching because it, it is a it is a tough set. It's a tough path to choose. It's it's one of the few jobs that you get hired just to get fired. Uh, yeah. there's, it's not a, you know, the, normally not a lot of longevity to it. You saw you ran your career, Shane. You ran the gamut. You know, Pete had this comment the other day about when he got hired in Florida, which would have been in 08. It was just getting away from really, as a profession, a dictatorship, right? Mike Keenan-ish. Oh, yeah. Coaches are a lot So you different. ran, now it's a partnership. But oh. you 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 saw all of that through the years. I would say I was a majority in the other direction. The dictatorship. Yes, uh, the, the, where <laughs> coaches were hard. The coach said what he had to, and, you know, you didn't, you didn't question it. You didn't doubt it. You just went out. And your best thing was not to have a conversation with the coach. You didn't want to have to talk or get to know him or anything he he ran the team you did what you're told and you played the game your job was to go out and play you know certainly now it's uh, it's evolved so much that uh, you know the coach the players the way the coaching style is done the relationships you have to have with each individual in your team because it may be different from one player to the other yeah, they didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, on, on that when i played we didn't even want to make eye contact with no. the coach. It just look down even assistants, like there was a time when the assistants, like when you played, the assistants were better. There was kind of they were there, kind well, of the bridge, a, right? There, there was a time when they yeah, weren't, but yeah. when you played, you know, what I mean, I, uh, we love the stories you tell about Brad McCrimmon yeah. when you were playing in Atlanta, and Bob Hartley was the yeah. coach, and Brad was. I like Bob too, but yeah, yeah, it's you know I had some great assistants that you know bridged those type of coaches. You know Jacques Martin, I, you know talk to him now. Great, but yeah, personality of a brand muffin. Like I was just on an Ottawa podcast the other day with Jason York, and we said he he kind of had it was like the most awkward thing if he came and talked to you at practice. It was like it's almost like he pulled out like Darren Millard's uh, what is use those cooking cards or whatever. Oh the, yeah, the index his cards. index cards <laughs> index to read cards. on, and like Jacques would pick every six months to go ask the guy an awkward question like, "Oh, uh, your wife have that baby yet?" Well, yeah, she's five months old, <laughs> or else you know you know Freudian yeah. slip that you brought up awkward and then Millard. <laughs> there we it's go. all changed now, though. It has changed. Yep. And, you know, that's – and I think for the better. I think that's – you know, and coaches have to change. If they wanted to stick around and still have those positions, and they have. They've, they've been able to, you know, kind of evolve as the game has because there's been a lot of change not only on the ice but off the ice, and you have to. I, I know it's a management position, but I read some comments and, and saw some comments from Kyle Davidson, right, that's going to stay on as GM of the Blackhawks. Talking about he's going to elicit the input of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Davis. Yeah. That's you want to talk about how much it's changed. I know they're two future Hall of Famers. I get all that, but that, I don't, well, even the broadcast. Any, yeah, except for maybe one one area in the league, the boat saying whatever you want on uh, calling games. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. No, than it used to. Yeah, you could. Yeah, there was a time. There was a time that really I don't I don't think they really cared too much about what. Yeah, yeah not anymore. Not anymore. Now it's uh, and maybe that's just the way of the world because everything's out there so much now. It's you know, we could rewatch games ten times. You felt like, well, he said this. Why? Yeah, people let us know when we screw up. Oh yeah, on the moment, quite a bit. Don't know what that's like. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you? uh, So before we get to Pete, which is just a moment uh, moments away. uh, So this team's got as we sit here, Boston tomorrow, then in Anaheim, Ottawa here Sunday, then they go on that trip, right? That trip east. You know, you look at that. You look ahead to that trip. I mean, there's some. You got Buffalo. Uh, evidently, he's not had a good year. The Flyers have not had a good year. Columbus. I don't know. They kind of one twelve of fourteen. Hanging around, and then Winnipeg. 
you know, you think there's some points there for, you know, and I, I hesitate to say it because we saw what happened against Arizona. But if you looked at this schedule coming up, there's some points for them. You know, that Anaheim game is going to be huge coming up. On, I mean, on, right now, if, if you look at these games coming up, not only the road trip, but even the games before that, yeah. Pittsburgh might be the only lock for the playoffs. There might be right. some of these teams that do get in. Boston is on the fringe right now. A yeah. Tough division. I'd say Pittsburgh is the only team coming up here in the next couple of weeks that's yeah. a playoff Bruins lock. And gonna, a bunch are uh, definitely not going to make it. Bruins won't be in a good mood after losing with, what, 25 yeah. seconds remaining? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the – by and large, the East is set, like Columbus is eight out. Game that's a lot hand. of points with the game. Yeah, with the game in hand. But, you know, that's a long ways to go. Long ways to go to make up ground. Do uh, we think with back-to-backs and especially a lot of games in a short period of time, Robin Leonard having won last night but hadn't played in 20 days, how does this unfold? What do you think? Shane, I the- gave up guessing goalies <laughs> like a long time ago. I, I, even when I got into the, I used to start. I remember when I got into the broadcast. Oh yeah, I thought I had you know an inside track. Yeah, I've given up on the coaches. I they need to get them in games, but at the same time, I, Brossois certainly proved in his stretch how well he played. You don't want him to sit too long. Can they stay healthy as a group? That's going to be you know they just lost the number one goalie for three weeks. They've got their two top scores in the last couple of years. We don't know when we're going to see them. Their best defenseman from last year has not played in three months. So can they put it all together between now and the uh, – It's on them to do it. They now have to. Trade deadline is 19 yeah. days away. 19 oh, days away. Gary's getting excited. Well, He's shaking right now. He's vibrating around, over there. He's so be, excited. <laughs> gyrations. You could be around the lawman on the day of the trade deadline. I don't want to hear vibrations oh, my or gyrations it's, it's from like, you guys ever again. Takes him back to his old job. Breaking oh, yeah. news. Uh, the he gets, so, in the gets east. so excited. He'll be in yeah. here like first thing, just you know, going over there. Like talking. he's making the trades. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that and free agency. And just you know, all over I don't the know. Map. Hopefully we're not getting traded. With <laughs> the other. There we'll have been some exciting moments that we've talked about through yeah. the first few years, the yeah, trade that, deadline. That, uh, I mean, obviously, the, the Mark Stone one takes the cake, quite obviously. But then Martinez and Leonard. And Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel. Well, you're <laughs> saying at the deadline At the itself. deadline, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was some uh, – they've made some notable trades, but – Will they do it? Can they do it? Last one on the trade deadline. Which contenders do you think will be most active, especially Western Conference? Well, I don't think Calgary's done. I think Calgary thinks that they have a chance to uh, to win the West, and I think if that's one team that hasn't gotten injured, by the way. And if you look at Colorado, they're uh, I I think that they obviously probably think the same. So I think both those two teams probably try and do something, and then in in the East. There's four or five teams, uh, you know, obviously if you're Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Carolina, they all think they've got a chance. New York, the Rangers, you know, those five teams, I'd be shocked if they weren't, uh, if they didn't get active in, in some regard. So that's that's seven teams that I think would could be quite busy. Are there commodities, players of a particular position that you expect will be on the move? Uh well, there's some really good defensemen available. Chikrin, Klingberg, Hampus, Lindholm. Lindholm. Like that's a, Anaheim's a real – they're really interesting because Pat Verbeek said two days ago, uh, if I can't sign these guys, Manson, Lindholm, and Raquel. and Raquel, I'm not just letting them walk out the door for free. So he's basically said if I'm if in the next three weeks, if I don't have something figured out, if I don't think I'm going to get something done, I'm moving them. 
So uh, that's they're a team to really keep an eye on. And Seattle, like, you know, <laughs> they've got all this cap space. And if you recall in year one, you heard this expression from, from George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon. The cap space we have this year is perishable. It's the only time you get to use it. If you don't use it all now, the next year it's gone. But you've got to have an owner who's in the mood to do that. And Bill Foley was was willing to, to, to he understood the CBA, he understood the, the, the expense of what they, what they might do. Now, it turns out that they didn't need to do any of that because they were winning so many games. But I don't, it, I get the sense that the owners in Seattle um, don't have as good a, they've kind of lost their sense of humor over, uh, over not winning and not having, uh, uh, you know, I think they thought it was going to be a cash register like it was in Vegas, and I don't think it has been to the same extent. It's kind of what a normal expansion season yeah, usually exactly. looks like. Yeah, exactly. What Seattle's going through, to say yeah. the least. Well, but. and then you factor in that, that you know there was so, all those games where the building wasn't full, right? right. You know, what I mean that's a that that's an issue. Well, um, as we mentioned, Pete DeBoer, uh, five hundred wins now as an NHL head coach, picked up number five hundred, ironically enough, against one of his old teams, the San Jose Sharks, last night, and he joins us on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Day podcast. Pete DeBoer, congratulations on win 500 in the National Hockey League. Yeah, exciting night. Uh, I waited about a week to 10 days longer than I wanted to for it, but uh, it was special, uh, especially against my old team with a lot of players on the other side there that were uh, contributors to those five, that 500 number over the four or five years I was in San Jose, and uh, it, was, it was a great night. There are not too many coaches who have won that many games in the National Hockey League. When you think about the few who have, what comes to mind? Yeah, I, I someone said maybe 28 or something, 29 was the number. Um, it's really humbling uh, when you think about it and you get that perspective. The game's been around the NHL for 100 years and, and all the great coaches uh, that have uh, that I've watched and been fan of or, or you know, coached against, uh, you know, so to be on, on the list with some of those names is, is humbling and, uh, you know, it really makes you reflect on the journey you've gone on and all the people that have helped you get there. When you think about all of this, just in the midst of a hockey season, we think about game to game. When you step back, maybe uh, I'm wondering if maybe some people have reached out to you here in the last 24 hours. You know what? I've got, I've gotten a lot of texts. Uh, it's funny from, uh, from players that I coached at the NHL level, but also players that I coached at junior, uh, uh, that I hadn't heard from in years, uh, coaches I've coached against and with, uh, Mike kitchen, my first, uh, assistant coach in the NHL when I showed up in Florida as a the youngest coach in the NHL at the time and didn't know my way to the airport or how to get into the rinks. Uh, you know, he really mentored me. He's, he's obviously retired now after a couple of cups in Chicago. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of family, a lot of friends. Um, you know, I, I, I've kind of downplayed uh, uh, the game and the number and, you know, trying to stay in the moment of what we're doing here. But when you get all those texts and all those people reaching out, you know, it uh, it does uh, uh, make the accomplishment head home a little bit more. You talked a little bit for a second there about your journey and getting to Florida. And it's kind of the nature of the business that when you're a good coach and you were a really good junior coach, uh, 
one of the very best. You have to be very confident in your abilities. That's part of it's sales and to get your message across to your players, you have to be confident. You've talked a little bit of how you thought you were ready for that next challenge. Um, some a, a general manager once told me about a young coach. He said he thinks he knows all the answers. What he doesn't realize is he doesn't even know the questions. <laughs> yeah, <there's laughs> is that lot. is that apt there's when you when of, you go from junior to the NHL? Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, totally different leagues, experiences, totally different uh, uh, people you're working with. All of a sudden, you're working with men with families. Uh, that are professional instead of babysitting uh, 16 to 20 year old kids, you know, where you're responsible for them 24 hours a day. So there's a lot of truth to that. And, and there's no, and that's why, you know, uh, experience uh, is really important when you're, when you're coaching and when you're hiring a coach, you know, when I, when I hear people talk about, it's not important. Well, it is. I lived it. I mean, I, I was the beneficiary of someone believing in me and giving me a chance with no experience. But now looking back in hindsight, uh, you know, where I am as a coach now and the experiences I have gone through uh, make me a much better, more qualified coach than I than I was then. Yeah, even though, you know, the 40 year old uh, first year coach probably wouldn't believe you if you told him that. I met you in 2005. You were an assistant for Brent Sutter. Uh, with the World Junior Team, you had your camp in in Winnipeg, and can remember interview, interviewing you at one point in time. And I was struck that um, that you were a smart guy, but you're also pretty comfortable. Like it was apparent that you guys were going to go other places, but you were comfortable in in the places you've been. How important is that to kind of to be able to to want to move forward, but to enjoy the station that you're at? Well, I think it's critical, and, and it's critical not just in hockey. I think, you know, I tell my kids that, um, you know, the the coaches, uh, what separates NHL coaches from other coaches is, is are very thin margins, thinner than, than players. Um, you know, I, I think I've seen so many great young coaches come through and, and, and not advance because they were always worried about getting to the next step instead of enjoying their time on the step they were on and, and, and knowing that if they did that and had success that the, the, the journey and the next steps would take care of themselves. And I think that's the same in any business or profession you're in. Uh, you know, you have to be all in at the level you're at, do the best job you can and someone will notice and you'll get an opportunity at the next one. So um, you know, and, and for me, it happened by accident. I just love junior hockey. I love that level. I love the impact you could have on young men, the difference you could make in their life on and off the ice. Uh, you know, I, I loved everything about it. There's so many aspects to the job. Um, for me, there's the, there's the coaching, of the, the teaching day-to-day and communicating with your players and building a culture and a group. And then there's the bench. There's the actual in the moment. And I've been around, been around one guy who was a brilliant Brent bench coach, but was a terrible day-to-day communicator. And I always said, if you could have just brought him in at five to seven and said, here's the players, here's the bench, coach them for the next three hours, and then have a car waiting for him immediately after the game and boom, you're not allowed to be around them again. So, but that's not the way it works. Obviously, 
you're good at both. You're a, a, a real good tactical in-game bench coach. We see you'll make changes, and you know when a guy's going, and you'll 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 go to them. But you're also your your players all. It's it's amazing to to watch Pete when we go different places, and you see Joe Pavelski, you know, walk up to you and put his arms around you like you're like your best friends. You're able to do both. Where does that come from? Yeah, I you know I I think. Uh... I'll be honest. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a name uh, that I admired in junior hockey, which is Brian Kilray. You would know him. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure everyone else would, but you know, maybe the greatest junior hockey coach of all time. And he was he was a one guy that when you sat and watched from the outside, he he could uh, hold a group accountable, uh, but at the same time, uh, they he could sit and have a laugh with them, and and the group knew he cared about them, and. Uh, that that's a lot harder to do um, than it sounds, uh, and he was a special person and a special guy. And I think, you know, you have to grow into uh, being comfortable in your own skin enough uh, that you can do both those things. And and if you take one one of them too far, one way or the other, you lose the group. So it's a really fine line to walk. Um, but you know, I, I got to watch some of the best people at that. Paul Maurice, I always talk about. He was a guy who hired me. He was my former junior teammate. He walked that line as good as anyone I had seen, you know, the personal with the the holding people accountable. Um, so I had some great mentors. When did you first think, I want to be a coach? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, it never crossed my mind as a player. Uh, it wasn't like I was the guy sitting there practice going, boy, I wish I was up at the board with the marker and set out here playing. I was never that guy, um, you know. And, and even until I started coaching, I, ne- I never really thought I was going to pursue it. I, uh, I was going to law school. Paul Maurice, uh, my old junior teammate, needed an assistant coach. I had just retired from the game and, and needed a, something to kind of get me my nose out of the books, and, and uh, I missed the game. Um, so I said, yeah, I'll help out, and, and I really fell in love with the job as I started to do it uh, with zero intention of, of getting into it initially or, uh, or pursuing it as a career. Um, so it goes to show you, you, you never know where, where life's path's going to take you. Can you think of a moment or a time when you thought, hey, this is more than a hobby. I'm going to stick with this. Well, I I had a real crossroads moment. Uh, Two years, I was an assistant coach for two years. My last two years of law school, I graduated law school, had a job line. uh, So it was was, uh, May, June. I had a job lined up at a law firm starting in September. I was going to take the summer off and relax and have a a last... uh, blow it out type uh, summer before I started working for real. And uh, Paul Maurice, who, who has, was running the, the team as head coach and GM, uh, took a job in the NHL in Hartford, and all of a sudden his job opened up and they offered it to me. And it was half the money I was, I was going to make at the law firm uh, that I had the job lined up at. But I had worked with Paul for a couple of years and really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it was one of those moments in your life where, you uh, you swallow hard, and, and uh, I made the right decision. I followed what I was passionate about instead of money. And, uh, you know, uh, at the time I thought, uh, you know, I'll try this until I get fired, and, and then I can always go back and, and work in a law firm. And that was, you know, 
25 years ago. It's one thing to enjoy something. It's another thing to be passionate about it. What do you find most fulfilling about being a coach? Well, the most fulfilling thing about being a coach is it's it's the closest thing to playing, and that's what we all love to do. I mean, you know that that's that's my passion is playing hockey. You know, it, it has been my whole life. It's it, I think that's where everybody's passion lies is in playing the game. You know, when you can't play it anymore because you're not healthy or they tell you you're not good enough, which was my case. Some uh, of us much younger than others. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you look you know, where do you get that again? And, you know, you can play men's league and things like that. But for me, uh, the closest thing to that juice you felt playing and, and engaged in the game and being a part of, of that competitiveness was, was when I got behind the bench with Paul Maurice and that was by accident. Uh, I never knew I would get that feeling again, uh, other than being as a, uh, you know, on the ice playing. So, um, you know, that, that's where it came from. How did you get good at it? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you learn. I, you know, I can't say enough about mentorship. Uh, I, I got so fortunate in Jimmy Rutherford, Hall of Fame general manager, was the guy who hired me. He was Paul Maurice's and I boss. Paul Maurice, who I happen to be junior teammates with, uh, who's fifth now all time on, on the coaches list, uh, happened to be uh, my roommate and, and former teammate and gave me a chance. So I learned from him. You know, the best thing I did was was early in my coaching career, I got involved with Hockey Canada at the national level and started coaching under 17, under 18, under 20 teams. And uh, when you do that at the Canadian level, you get to go out in the summer to Calgary and spend summers with some of the great Canadian coaches at that time. You know, you got, you got to hear... Uh, uh, Dave King speak and you got to hear Tom Rennie talk. You got to work with Brent Sutter. I got to work with Ken Hitchcock, Mike, Mike Babcock. So, um, you know, if, if you're a student of the game and you understand, Hey, this is a unique opportunity to, to learn from the best. It, it's impossible not to get better at it. I've heard the analogy. If you want to play the piano, reading a book about playing the piano is not going to help you very much. You've got to put your fingers on the keyboard does that extrapolate to being a hockey coach? It does. It does for sure. I, I remember my first uh, junior game. Uh, I had never stood behind the bench, never made a line change. I was running the D. Jimmy Rutherford was our, our general manager. And, and I was worried about uh, the bench piece of it. You know, am I going to get the right guys on the ice? And Jimmy Jimmy said to me, don't worry about the bench piece. You'll you'll figure that out. For, for Jimmy the the coaching piece was the practice being able to run a practice the timing of it uh you know the flow making sure the guys got enough work but not too much uh keeping the pace up and he's right that that's that's the real art of coaching is being able to to run a practice a great practice keep your your group accountable uh and get them ready for the next game it's that's so amazing you watch different coaches run a practice in 1994, a buddy of mine was playing for the Ottawa Senators, and I went to visit him, and they were playing the New York Rangers, and I watched the Senators go through their morning skate, which was plotting, and then Keenan brought out the Rangers and Messier, and no one had a helmet on, and they burst around for 20 minutes, did a couple of things, and then they all went their separate ways and did their shots, and that was the right group. That was mm -hmm. the right pattern for that group of guys how do you pick what works for the group 
Yeah, it's a great point. And, and and it's different for every group you have. You know, if you've got a young team, sometimes you need a little bit more. If you've got an older veteran team, you need a little bit less. When I took the San Jose job as an example, you know, that was a, a team when I took the job, you know, people called me and said the window's closed. You know, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski's too old, Brent yeah. Burns too old. They they had their, their window and, and they had missed the playoffs the year before they're done. And, you know, in reality, you know, the window wasn't closed and, and we went to a Stanley Cup final and a conference final, you know, over the next three years. So, um, you know, I, I but I, I, when you talk to those guys after, I think I think what we did uh, when we came in is we took our foot off the gas. We recognized we've got a little bit of an older group. It's a grind. Uh, they've gone on some deep playoff runs over the last decade. And there's a lot of miles on some of these guys, and we really took our foot off the gas and forced those guys to take to, to not practice. Joe Thornton wanted to practice every day. Joe Pavelski wanted to be out there every day, and we had to actually force those guys not to to their benefit. So that was an example of an older team. Um, you know, when I when I was in Florida, we had some young rebuilding teams that you really had to, to push. They were still young kids that were learning to be pros and, and didn't know how to do that. So you win game 500. Yeah, go talk to the media. I actually watched you take off your tie as you were walking back to the dressing room. I don't know what I hate you, that thing. I don't know what you did in the coach's house, but eventually you got out to your car and yeah. turned it towards home. Yeah. What did you what what was on the what was on the playlist or what was on the what did you listen to on that drive home after you had won your 500th game? You know what my my uh, I I picked my wife up she was at the game and uh, and literally my my phone was lighting up with messages and uh, I drove and she kind of read through and and responded for me to to people I wanted to get back to people. You know, the game out here ends at 10, 11. A lot of friends and family in the East, it's 2 in the morning, stayed up to, to send a message. Uh, so I wanted to get back to them as quickly as I could, including my kids. Um, so we spent the ride home with uh, the radio off and uh, and returning messages from, from a lot of close friends and family that reached out. Well, sooner or later, you're going to listen to some music. What? <laughs> I don't, because I would imagine yeah. you drove into the rink this morning. It was probably pretty similar. You were probably on the phone talking to somebody. But at some yeah. point in time, you're going to get on the treadmill or whatever, and yeah. there's going to be some music. What's it going to be? Well, you and I have talked about this. I'm a big Led Zeppelin fan. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big '80s hairband fan. Uh, I love, I love country now. My kids got me into country. I never thought I'd listen to country and. My kids got me into country, and uh, I uh, I love Darius Rucker. Uh, I've seen Darius uh, a couple times. I'm amazed at how uh, he can go genre to genre, and 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 whatever you want to sing, he can uh, he can do it. So you know, I'm I'm attracted to talent. Um, you know, but I love the the '70s rock and the '80s uh, uh, bands. Dan and I were uh, doing the game on radio on Saturday night, and Billy Joel was, you know, mm. you guys were playing a game, and no offense, but we've seen the Golden Knights <laughs> concert a few times. Yeah. We were kind of thinking we wouldn't have been over across the street watching Billy Joel and kind of talked a little bit about that. Um, is there, uh, you, you mentioned the 80s rock, but like uh, Billy Joel, Springsteen, guys like that, are they yeah. uh, are they yeah. in the mix for you? I love those guys. Uh, you know, a band recently came through town I wanted to see, but it didn't work out. Black Crows I love. Uh, uh, 
Um, you know what? I, I, I really like all music, even some of our players. I mean, they've got some awful stuff in there in the dressing room <laughs> they play, but uh, there's some good stuff in there too. We've got, we've got some guys with some good taste. I'll tell you the, the, the most underrated taste in music on the team shouldn't surprise anyone because he's one of our older guys is Alec Martinez. He's a Michigan guy and Bob Seeger, oh, yeah. uh, who we all grew up with, uh, and he, he's he's a big fan. So um, you know, he he would be if I'm going to steal someone on the team's playlist, uh, Marty would be my guy. I had wanted to see Bob Seeger forever, and our second year here, he came through. It was his last tour, and uh, I uh, I put the arm on somebody higher up the <laughs> chain, and we got to go see it, and it was uh, it was a fantastic show. I'm sure waiting for the boss to make it to Las Vegas. <laughs> Sooner rather than later, we hope. We're talking about stuff outside of, of hockey here, the the importance of being well-rounded. You touched on your education. I wanted to bring up education, first off, because uh, it's a big part of, of uh, just our path, but also it's Read Across America Day. It's Reading Week in Nevada. Many of us are going to be visiting schools this week. Can you go back in, in your education, Pete, what – role did it play in your growth as a person well it's funny it's reading week because i'm actually i'm leaving the interview here and i'm, I'm reading a book to a grade school class and uh they've got a great set of books in canada called brady brady which are uh, all hockey based and actually the the illustrator is from kitchener where i coach junior hockey so i've got the whole set that we read to our kids i i lent one to zach white cloud to read to a class the other day because it, it they're all hockey based messaging to to young grade school kids so they're awesome so i'll i'll leave and do that it's an important week and it's an important piece i mean without without my education i wouldn't be an nhl coach without without my law school b- background um you know there's very few guys that are good enough to play in the nhl have a great career you know, not have a degree and jump right into coaching and be really good at it. That, that's just a reality. Uh, you know, you can count on one hand probably the number of those guys. So, you know, I wasn't one of those guys. I, I had to get an education and have a fallback plan, and I'm glad I did. You know, it really prepared me for uh, for all kinds of things uh, that have come across my plate in the coaching world as I've gone through. I use the, the stuff I learned in law school on a daily basis, uh, coaching today's athlete. And, uh, you know, I, I can't stress enough, you know, the importance, not just of, of education coming out of high school, but continuing education. You know, my hockey uh, Canada experiences, I was working as as an assistant, uh, you know, I, I was going to go to China this year for the Olympics as an assistant to John Cooper. You know, uh, that gives you the opportunity to learn all you can about John Cooper, who's just won back-to-back Stanley Cups. And you has know, got, a law degree himself. Too. Yeah, got to spend uh, some summer meetings for a week in Calgary with John Cooper and Barry Trotz, you know. Barry's one of the great coaches of all time, just won a Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, that continuing education, all, there's always changes to the game and, and to the profession you're in. You you want to make sure you're always keeping up. Do you have much time in your busy schedule to read now? And what do you read? I do read. I, I read a lot. Uh, I, I, I told Gary I love autobiographies. I, I re- just recently read the Led Zeppelin one. 
Um, someone gave me the Duran Duran uh, <laughs> one from the 80s. I got through a, the first few pages and put it down. It didn't didn't uh, <laughs> float my boat. But uh, um, you know what? I, I, I steal my wife's book. She's in a reading uh, club uh, or a book club. They meet, you know, they, they pick a book and meet once a month. So, you know, if she recommends it, I'll grab it and read it. So I, I'm an avid reader. Uh, it's the one thing I do to relax away from the rink. We don't get a chance to fish. We don't have that kind of time. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's reading. Highly recommend Springsteen's autobiography, Born to Run. I haven't, I haven't got that one yet, but I will. Thanks for your time. Scrubs on Skates is my favorite uh, kid's book. Neil Young, the great uh, yeah. rock star. His dad was a sports writer, Scott Young, and he wrote a series of books. Scrubs on Skates, Boy on Defense boy at the Leafs camp. And then he took the whole group of guys and put them, turned them into old men with, you know, nicotine and alcohol habits and divorces. And they had to play for team Canada at, at the last minute over in Europe. And it was called that old gang of mine. It's a good series. Good. Pete, thanks so much for coming by. And again, congratulations on 500 wins. Thanks guys. Well, we thank Pete DeBoer for a, a very fascinating conversation. I know you guys wanted to kind of get into a more just, to, you know, away from the nuts and bolts grind day-to-day of the Golden Knights. Who is this guy? Yeah, who is this guy? I'm a little better now, you know. Uh, uh, certainly a lot better than we did before this. So uh, thanks to Pete for joining us, and uh, thanks to all of you as well for tuning in. Talk to you next time on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave Podcast.